Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. It's going to be a great day. Hold your Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're doing a series entitled Damaged Goods, and every one of us has experienced damage in our lives, inflicted maybe by our own choices or Maybe somebody else inflicted some kind of pain or damage on us or hurt us. Uh, everyone has been damaged, and, and oftentimes, without realizing it, we just don't fix or repair the damage. We just try to live with it and learn how to adjust to it, and, and God wants us to be healed. So I want to help you to get over it today. i thinking about a story I told some years ago that uh, there was a, a flight headed to Chicago, and everybody gets on board, and and they're taken off, and they're up in the air, and they find out that there is a blonde lady in first class, and that she was not on the manifest to be in first class. So the flight attendant went up to her and said, ma'am, I, I need to see your ticket. Well, sure enough, she had a coach ticket, and the flight attendant said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go back to coach. She said, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, and I'm going to Chicago. <laughs> well, flight attendant didn't know what to do, so she went to the cockpit, and the co-captain left the cockpit, went out, and said, Ma'am, I, I've been made aware by the flight attendant that, that you're seated in first class, but you have a coach ticket. I need, to, I need to ask you to move back to coach. Well, she looked at him and said, Well, sir, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful, and I'm going to Chicago. So they didn't know what to do, so the co-captain goes back up, and the captain goes, How'd it go? He said, Well, you know, she said she's blonde and beautiful, and she's going to Chicago. The captain said, Oh, I got this. My wife's blonde. I, I speak blonde. <laughs> Sudden, uh, she gets up and she moves back to coach. Flight attendant shocked. Co-captain shocked. What did you say to her? I told her that first class wasn't going to Chicago. <laughs> it doesn't take that much to fix somebody. Overcome the damage. Anyway, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. <laughs> Let's go biblical on that one, okay? <laughs> and all you blondes have to forgive me. I do this on purpose because some of y'all get offended easily, and I'm just helping you to overcome offense. <laughs> it's a gift. In Luke chapter 15, it's a famous story of the prodigal son, and, and typically when preachers preach it, they, they only talk about the prodigal son and how awesome it, it was in the story that the prodigal son finally came to his senses and, and realized how horrible he was and how horrible the decision that he made was. And, and we talk about him and how he finally one day in humility, uh, having finally come to his senses that he would go back to his father's home and, and humble himself and say, I'm not even worthy to be a servant and how awesome it is. Isn't it a great story? Because all of us have experienced um, someone in our family who was a prodigal who went south and went their own way. And, and we always talk about 
that one person. Yet, there is the prodigal father, which in this story is symbolic of God himself. But then there's the prodigal brother, the older brother. We don't ever talk about him. He was an idiot. I'm not sure if he's in heaven, and I'll have to talk to him when I get there. But anyway, I want to just kind of round this story out and talk about the three different types of people represented in this story. As we talk about damaged goods, there's only one way that we're ever going to walk free of allowing the damage that's been done in our lives to control our lives, and that is this, to understand God's grace. Now, when I talk about grace, and you know, I've, I at one point had 75 employees, and, and I, one of the hardest days in my life was I hired a, a friend of mine from Northern California to be my youth pastor, and he's a really brilliant guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, but he didn't fit into Oklahoma, I'm Tigger, I'm Hyper, I'm Type AAA. And one of the hardest things I ever had to do was to go to him and say, this is not working. You say, well, that's not grace. You say, I had grace. And the grace was this, that if something's not working, it may be the best thing to do. Grace sometimes empowers people to move on. And so when I talk about grace, it's not a sloppy agape. It's not that kind of love grace. It's, it's a grace to say, whatever I do and whatever I understand is going to be motivated by grace. And in this story, we see the grace of God, obviously, but we don't see grace coming from the older brother. So let me read the story, and then I'll go from there. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now understand something here. The father is showing us in this. We live in a world when you hurt someone, the tendency is in their human fallenness is to hurt you back. In other words, you have squandered what I gave you. You blew the inheritance that my father and my father's father worked so hard to accumulate, and now you're coming back to me? Well, I'm going to let you come back, but you're going to have to work your way into my good graces. Let me say something. Grace is not grace if it's tied to works. Now, let me move on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, please understand that people who are damaged thrive on other people who have made mistakes. When you get happy that someone else has fallen or made a mistake, or you feel so compelled to make sure that they pay to the full length of their crime, you are a very damaged human being. You're a judgmental older brother in the story of the prodigal. We all have to realize this because the reality is that We make excuses for our behavior, and it typically means in a moment we are better than someone else. You and I are never better than anyone else. Now, we might made a mistake that's bigger than somebody else, but your big mistake does not make someone else better. It just means you made a mistake. And so what happens is these people will keep their foot on your throat as long as they can to remind you how damaged that you are and how bad you are that you hurt them. Now, please get this because we've all been in this position. We've all been the older brother. Every one of us has been the older brother. At some point in time, we acted like the older brother. And the reason I want us to get this is because if we don't understand the persons and personalities in this story and understand how to identify when we are acting like one of them, then we will it's like be healed or by someone that they loved. And they said, I will never love again. What they said is, I choose to be permanently damaged based or by your behavior. I choose to be permanently damaged. Now, Certainly, we've all been hurt, and certainly, we've all hurt people. The reality is that those hurts that cause damage have to be dealt with and addressed, and there has to be a way for us to walk out of those. And the way is this, to understand the grace of God. I am learning in my life that every time there's a conversation, that conversation does not always need my opinion. Isn't it funny how we hear somebody talking and we go, <sighs> light bulb. And we feel like we've got to throw our two cents in. Or someone says something that it gets sideways with us and we've got to react or respond or defend ourselves. Sometimes the best thing to do is not to say anything. It totally confuses the people who want to hurt you. They don't know what to do. Because really what they're looking to do is for you to say something that confirms how they feel about you or what they're saying about you. But when you remain silent, it causes everybody to wonder. I'm just trying to help you here. In other words, don't say anything. Don't get the hammer out and start hammering your soul and doing more damage than what has already been done or what someone says has been done. Okay, listen to this. Because legalism, religion, is one of the most damaging things we have on earth. We always wait. And on Facebook, you can't help it. You, you just, so I, I read stuff on there, and I'm going, I wouldn't jump into this shark tank for all the money in the world. It is amazing, some of the conversations that are had on there. 
And I'm like, I've got all kinds of opinions and insight that I do with them. So you add, but eight out of the ten people are going to think they're stupid because they don't agree with them. So you actually inflict damage on yourself by getting involved in a conversation you don't need to be involved with. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't good conversations. There are some good ones on there that I learn from. And, and I'm just saying for me, there, I just know that if I say one thing on Facebook, it's like blood in the water. So I just bless everybody. Legalism. Religion, living by a list of rules, is the lazy way out. We rely on rules so we'll know how to respond in any given situation. The trouble is, there are never enough rules to cover every contingency. That's how come the Pharisees kept adding to the Ten Commandments, and they created over 600 laws out of ten simple commandments that God made. Because they couldn't find contingency after contingency. They had to find new rules to address their behavior. So it says... Not only do rules not work well, they also create several problems. Number one problem is the legalist or religious person is lured into believing he can satisfy God by keeping man-made rules. I mean, at the end of the day, if you've had a really good day and you, you gave money to a homeless person, you helped an old lady into the store, you opened a car door, you, you did something at work that you didn't have to do, you worked overtime for free, and you come home that night and you're just going, I'm just all of that in a bag of chips. I am a spectacular. Spectacular Christian. And then tomorrow comes and you are on Satan's payroll. <laughs> you didn't do one thing for anybody. And so you live this roller coaster life because you're depending on your works, your behavior, your goodness to make you feel good and to satisfy God. There are some of my worst days. I know God loves me better on my worst days. Some of y'all think God abandons you. I ain't talking to you. Talk to the hand. God will never do that. I just want you to know you're still mine. While everybody else is rejecting you, kicking you to the curb, got their foot on your throat, God's embracing you. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to align myself with God. So anytime I do the opposite of what God does, and, and then I pray, here's what we typically do, God. I'm coming to, I'm talking to God. What most people do when they pray is try to get God to change. When you pray, what we're trying to really do is get us to change and align ourselves with God. I used to think prayer changed God. Prayer does not change God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Prayer changes us. Wow. 16.8% agreed with that. <laughs> About 78.2 are totally confused. And I don't know where the rest of y'all are. Listen to me. I used to pray an hour and a half a day minimum in the morning up early. And I really thought I was maneuvering God. And I did it for years and great things happened. But it wasn't that what I didn't realize. God's up there going, he has no idea what's really happening right now. <laughs> One of these days he's going to get the revelation that he ain't changing me. His prayer is changing him. That's what prayer is. And so, and I believe, I believe in, 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 in asking God, do this, do that, God. And if it aligns with your will, here's what I, I because Calvinist says it's going to happen regardless of whether I change or you change or anybody else changes. There are things that will not happen if we'll change the way we conduct ourselves. If I'll stop judging, I won't be judged. 
But if I ask God to hammer somebody else, God's going, that's fine, but I'm going to put a hammer in their hand. So after they get hammered, they're going to hammer you. And I'm not talking about getting blitzed on alcohol. Hammered. I'm talking about a real hammer up in here. Like Thor type stuff going on, okay? I can tell some of y'all ain't going to go to the movies. All right, so. (laughs) Thor who? Google! Number two, he settles for an external morality rather than an inner purity. The goal of life is not to change your behavior. The goal of life is to transform your heart. Because behavior and changing your behavior requires that you have a list of rules that prove you've changed. But inner purity means I desire to do the will of God with or without rules. I know what it means to love and forgive and have grace and mercy. But damaged people are always looking for an external way to prove themselves. The very first problem we have is with works. Now listen to the third. His focus is on cultural conformity instead of biblical spirituality. In other words, culture determines behavior or outcome, not the Bible. Number four, he sets himself up as judge over those who don't excel in keeping his rules. Now, number one, people who understand God's grace don't declare their works. The prodigal son, what? Understood God's grace. He didn't come back to the father and say, Father, I thought this out. Give me a year to prove myself. Give me a year to work hard. Give me a year to show you I've changed. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, the father didn't even give him an opportunity to do that. The father's waiting on him and waiting on him every day, waiting on him to come home. And finally the day comes when he's coming home and the father goes out to meet him and it says he hugged him and he kissed him. He didn't say, now son, here's how this is going to play out. You've been a total idiot. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some time. But you're going to go back to work. You're going to work with the hired hands. You're going to sleep in the bunkhouse. You're not going to be in our house. Here's what you're going to do. And you know what? What the damaged people would go, yeah, watch me. I can do this. Damaged people are constantly trying to impress God. But the prodigal son came to his senses and he said, there's not one thing I can do. I know everything I've done. And I'm going to go back and own everything I've done. Now, the problem with owning everything you've done, people who are damaged will continue to kick you and make sure you're punished to the full extent of their law, not God's. They're religious, and they think they're doing everything in the name of God that they need to be doing. What they've forgotten is love covers a multitude of opportunities. You're sitting there like bumps on logs. Okay, somebody. I need some help up in here. This is just a little Red Bull. It's not a double side. Okay, that's better. This is not a spectator church. Otherwise, I would have called it spectator church. Now, the older brother had either forgotten or had failed to realize it was grace that he was the oldest son in the air. Now, nowadays, we're so politically correct that if you have five kids, you split everything. That's not how it was. The oldest son became the heir to everything that father had. So the religious older brother was depending on his works, not the father's grace, but his works to make sure that he got everything that was already his. 
do you not realize that everything God has is already yours? It's not about how good you are. It's not about your works. It's about accepting the work of Christ and living that work out through him. And so what happens is when we're damaged, we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. I could have come back to Oklahoma City and said, I'm going to prove something. I didn't come back here to prove one thing except that I'd be obedient to God. Are you kidding me where the wind comes sweeping down the plane? Oh, yeah. Oklahoma City's on everybody's bucket list. Nobody has a brick town like we do. Yeah, this is where I want to come back to. I want to prove to everybody. That's what we do. I'm going to prove. I'm going to prove. I'm going to prove. Here's what I'm going to prove, which is what the the prodigal son did. I'm going to prove that I will obey God and humble myself before God and anybody else, and I'm just going to come back and obey Jesus. And if you don't like it and nobody likes it, I don't have anything to prove. It really doesn't matter. What matters is that I can stand before Jesus someday because I ain't standing before you. And I hope some of y'all get to be there when I'm standing before him because he's going to look and say, son, I love you so much. Mark Crow, I love you so much. I have a mansion for you. And I got to tell you right now, you're going to be right next to Buffett and Gates. I don't care what all these people I said. Everybody's listening. What? And those of you that have messed with me, you'll be living in a shack outside the hood. That felt really good to say. I'm not real sure about that, but who knows? <laughs> Thank you. You should have followed that with help him. <laughs> but when we realize that everybody has sinned, everybody's damaged, we're all damaged goods, if you will. And the only way to overcome the damage of being fallen creatures is by the grace of God. None of us will go to heaven because of good works. We're going to go to heaven by faith through grace. That's the way we go. And the way that we live our lives here, we can live them here just like there. We just have to understand the grace, mercy, and love of God. And, say, well, and see, religious people get real mad when I talk this way because religious people say, well, he just thinks he can do whatever he wants. No, I don't. I don't even want to do what I want. I've done what I want. It kills you. <laughs> I want to do what he wants. That's what drives me. That's my motivation is to live by the Spirit of God. But I know at the end of the day, God's not looking at Jesus going, hey, give him a W today. He had two losses the day before. Give him a double, yeah. God's not up there doing that. God's not keeping score. That's what religious people do. I mean, I am telling you, people, when I first started pastoring, I didn't know what I was doing. I was pastoring teenagers, and all of a sudden, I got adults like you. You got it all figured out. Teenagers just having fun. And, you know, they, they, there's no pretense. If they don't like you, they don't talk about you to somebody else. They come up and tell you, I don't like you. That's what I liked about teenagers. They didn't talk about you. They talked to you, and it wasn't always pretty. But I remember my first pastor, and I hadn't been there, I hadn't been there three months, and somebody said, Pastor, I won't be here this Sunday. We're going to Las Vegas. Well, you know, a religious person would say, shame on you. Sin City? My response was, well, if you win, tithe. Now, 
at least 1% of you is going, I'm never going back. <laughs> oh, yeah, you will, because you wonder what I'm going to say next week. <laughs> we spend most of our lives trying to regulate and control everybody else and dictate. Every, we're older brothers, the older brother syndrome. And, and all we do is walk out, I'm so good, I'm so good. No, you wish you were going to Vegas with them. I didn't have a Red Bull at 9.30. You might want to go back and listen to that one. <laughs> Damaged people always talk about themselves, their goodness, and their works, and not God's. Look at the older brother. Look at what I've done. I've been here with you the whole time. I've worked hard, and you've never so much as given me a go, wah, wah, wah. I have an older brother and a younger brother. They're both short. And I've never let them forget it. They got the American Indian side. I got the German. My father, my grandfather was a boxer, tall, about 6'1". And, and I got him. And, and they got short with all the other stuff that comes with it. And I've always been the happy one in the family. I don't know why it was. I guess my grandfather was always happy. I just wanted to be happy. I don't like not being happy. I like being happy. Is there anybody who thrives in here on being unhappy? Lift your hand. We'll pray for you. I've yet to meet anyone. My goal in life is to be an unhappy, miserable human being and make everybody around me the same. Now, I know some people act that way, but that's not what anybody wants. I wanted to be happy. So I've, I've always had favor. I've always felt like God was looking out for me. I just have always felt that way. And I don't know why that is, but I thought if something bad happens, there must be a reason, and God's getting ready to do something really wonderful. Yeah. I'm not going to have a conversation. We're not going to throw a party for all the negative, bad things that have happened. I've just decided I'm going to celebrate my life and the life that God's given me because anything short of that is a mockery of the cross. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If I'm not having the abundant life, I'm wasting the cross. I know I'm challenging you, and I'm going to create really good artist works. What he had done for the Father and how he'd always been there. He had no compassion for his brother and no respect for his father. What he wanted to do was he wanted his brother to pay. Suffer. Be punished to the full extent of the law. How dare you come home to this pristine farm? Those are damaged people. Now, the little brother did damage to his life, but the little brother literally said, I love it when it says, when he came to his senses. When you and I come to our senses, we realize the only hope we have is the love and the grace and the mercy of God. That's our only hope. I can never work myself out of what I walk myself into. It'll never work. But what I can do is believe myself into what Jesus did for me. And that he took care of everything. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Well, guess what? If he fulfilled it and he lives in us, then the only hope we have is for him to fulfill it through us. By his spirit, which is the most powerful person we experience on earth. And he is a person. He's not a thing. I, when I grew up in a church, did you get it? That's what they call the Holy Spirit. Did you get it? <laughs> if I was the Holy Spirit, I said, I ain't an it. 
That's not in my notes. Checking is not there. Oh, indicators that you're damaged. And I'm going to give you these because some people say, well, how do I know if I'm damaged? <laughs> wow, <laughs> you guys actually get it. <laughs> we know, that's why we're here. <laughs> we're just all jacked up. <laughs> we should have named this Jacked Up Church. Mosaic just rolls a little better than that. Where do you go? Jacked up. Can I come? Yeah, because you're jacked up even if you don't think you are. Everybody's welcome at Jacked Up Church. All right. So, here's one way you know. A loss of joy. If you have no joy, you're damaged. Doesn't mean you're damaged beyond repair. And it may mean that you're damaged for a season. All of us monument to it. And decide to stay at the monument their whole life and say, I can't get over it. I can't get through it. It's, it's always going to be there. Yeah, it may always be there, but it doesn't always have to be painful. You don't have to suffer the rest of your life. Loss of joy. Number two, a life of strife and pressure where you're always feeling strife and you're always feeling pressure. The way I get beyond things, this is just my way is when I see things around me that I don't like, I start thanking God for the things that I know are true. I'm thankful I'm going to heaven someday. And I'm even more thankful that it's going to irritate some people. I know they're going to be standing there and Jesus is going to look and say, Mark, come up here. Come at the front of the line. They're going to be like, what? What? He's going to put me on a podium. This is my son. I am well pleased. Enter in. And then I'm going to turn around and go, see you on the inside. I'm kind of having fun. <laughs> when, when I talk about stuff like this, I just get happy. I just preach myself happy. And if I'm preaching you irritated, you're damaged. I'm preaching happy. I'm, I'm just like getting happy. I'm like, I, I just am. This car still drives. I got a few dings in my paint, but I'm still driving. Grace pops the dents out. Number three, an unhealthy clean at everybody else. I mean, walk and talk and look in the mirror and talk to yourself. Don't let everybody else tell you who you are. When you get up in the morning, get up and look in the mirror and say, Mmm, he made everything beautiful. <laughs> See, some of y'all don't get it. You look, oh God, it's Monday. Oh. This day sucks. Why didn't God just start it on Tuesday? Because then Tuesday would be Monday. I don't know why Monday's been so mistreated for so many years. How would you like to be Monday? We're going to start calling you Monday if you're always unhappy. How are you, Monday? Grumpy? You need to get up in the morning, talk to yourself. 
Jehovah Java helps. <laughs> Number four, a failure to enjoy life. I mean, literally a failure. People fail to enjoy life because they're so damaged. They're so, they've listened to everybody else's opinion of them for so long that they live in the funk. What somebody says about you doesn't mean it's what God says about you. God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, created His image and likeness. That's who I am. That's who you are. If somebody says you're an idiot, say, I have the mind of Christ. How could you possibly say that? The wisdom of God flows through me because he said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He'll give it liberally. I ask for wisdom. You're just dumb. I got wisdom. <laughs> we may not want to put this one up on the web, guys. I'm, re I'm really communicating this with all the love and compassion I can possibly muster. I really am. I just, I just want us to be able to laugh at life. I want us to enjoy life. Every day is not pristine outwardly, but every day can be wonderful inwardly. But we have to choose it. I have to stand up. I mean, come on, folks, really? It's about to turn winter in Oklahoma. Can we all wait? Oh, yeah, let's sit in our homes and look out the windows at everybody who's not outside. I am going to have a conversation in sand. I mean, I, I, have you ever asked the question, why winter? Why, why, why? Why do we have to have winter, really? Because some of y'all like coats. Pathetic. Winter. Where everybody in Oklahoma sits inside looking outside. Look, another leaf fell. Secondly, I gotta move on. Stuck. People who understand grace don't compare themselves with other people. Their failures, their successes, they don't compare. And that's what the older brother was doing. Look at, look at me and look at him. Come on, Dad, look at me and look at him. You haven't even given me a goat, and, and you're giving him the calf that I fed, grain fed. Matter of fact, in the original language, it's called a limousine cow. It, it was grain fed. It wasn't eating grass. It was taken care of and carefully made fat. Well, there's so much I want to say, but I can't. Anyway. <laughs> Woo! Susan will hear it later. Because I'm going to tell her. <laughs> okay, Lord, it's okay? Okay, yeah, he told me I could tell her. Anyway, so. <sighs> You're dying to know, aren't you? Nope, not happening. Not happening. That would be right on the brink of sin. No, nah, I'd be over the line. So there are so many things that universities would not pass me on here. One person said, comparing ourselves with others is a spiritual cancer. I'll take it a step further, and I'll say it's an emotional, mental cancer. Because somebody always loses. And God didn't want anybody to lose. And so if you don't want to be damaged... When you think you're damaging someone else, you're being critical of someone else, you're giving your opinion about what you think of somebody else, you're damaging yourself more than you're damaging them. 
And those of us with the innate gift of sarcasm, this is so difficult for me to preach. It just comes to me. There are just things I can say to about everything. And I just have to sometimes go, that would be a great comeback, but it would take six months to overcome. So the older brother is comparing himself with the younger brother who doesn't get grace. Let me tell you something. Religious people don't get grace. Let me tell you why they don't get grace. Religious people think that those of us who believe in grace like grace because we get to do whatever we want and come and repent. But when you understand grace, you want to do everything he wants, which causes you not to have to repent. That's what we, we understand grace. It's not that I, I want to do the things that, like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, why do I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I want to do? That even the apostle, great apostle Paul wrestled with, why is it? And the only hope that we have is, God, please extend grace to me, first to empower me, and secondly, grace to cover me. Grace to empower me to do right, and when I don't, let the grace cover my stupidity. You see what I'm saying? Because you're all going to make mistakes, everybody. Now, there are some people who think their mistake's not as bad as yours, but last time I read the Bible, God didn't categorize sin. Kind of wish he had it because I could be a really good Pharisee. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I'm type A. Okay, I'll leave up to it. I'll be miserable the rest of my life. I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to mock you every time you fall. And that's the fallen man, the fallen nature. That's who we are without the grace of God and without understanding. There's not one person, including Billy Graham, that gets to go to heaven because they were good. And Billy would tell you that today if he were alive. And right now he's standing up there applauding me. Because he would have never for one minute ever said, I get to go to heaven because I preached to millions and millions got in his message. The grace of God. Except by grace. I'm not saved. The greatest damage and the people who are most damaged are the people who think they're not damaged. And every one of us right now is thinking of those people. I just wanted to give you a moment, you know, because I knew you were going there. I thought I'd pause. I didn't want you to miss something going, yeah, I can't wait to go tell them. (laughs) And lastly, people who understand grace don't look for fair. They look for favor. The older brother was looking for things to be fair. The younger brother said, I just need favor because I've messed up. I need grace. I've learned to pray for those who have desired my rest of my life to look the way they wanted it to look. I've had to forgive. And I do every day. Some of you are in the same place every day. You just have to look and say, I'm not wasting my energy. on revenge or vengeance. I'm giving my energy to grace, the grace that's been given to me, and the mercy that's been given to me. I actually pray and bless those who persecuted. Because the reality is, I really don't think it's their heart. I think it's human behavior. 
And when we get hurt, the tendency we have is to hurt someone back. It's going to be the cycle. Somebody has to stop the cycle. Somebody has to stop the cycle. That gets to be us. Stop the cycle. Love people. Love people. Love people. I'm not standing up here because I took a vote. I'm standing up here because God voted for me. And when I think about that, to be on stage, I've never... I don't get to preach because I'm perfect or good. And some of y'all, if you're around me any length of time nowadays, you'll know right off, this is a great place for you. Because <laughs> there's a really good chance you're going to feel superior to me. <laughs> and I'm really okay with that now. Because I realize now, I'm not standing up here because I'm gifted. I'm not standing up here because I'm good. I'm standing up here only one reason, because I'm called by God. That's it. God is not blessed to have me. I'm blessed to have him. We're blessed to call him father. We're blessed to call him savior. We're blessed to call him friend. So remember this. It's not by your works. It's not because you compare yourself and you measure yourself as better than someone else. And it's not because of fairness. Psalm 512 is one of my favorite scriptures. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. The only reason I have favor is because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Not the goodness of Mark in this world. And because of that, he surrounds me with his favor. I have yet to, I've experienced some wonderful things in my life, but I can promise you I've yet to experience the best that I'm going to experience. I make declarations every day. Watch and see what the Lord's going to do. It will shock you. And your enemies will have to watch. So you just smile and you just look and say, God bless you. I love you so much. I know you hate me. I love you. Praying for blessing on your life. Oh, they will get even more angry. <laughs> Jesus says, I mean, Jesus, think about this. Jesus could have called legions of angels. It would have been really cool to have like Jesus as like Thor. Like all buff, you know what I'm saying? Hulk Jesus. It would have been really cool. Our flesh would have been so satisfied. But this meek and mild Savior came and showed us how to trust in our Creator. He allowed man to nail him to a tree and throw him in a tomb and trusted that God would get him off the tree and get him out of the tomb and get him back to where he belonged. And he's going to do the same for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a grace that is so far beyond our human comprehension that it will forever be a, day, a, a debate amongst mankind. How in the world could the creator of heaven and earth, the one who knows every man and woman's heart on earth, how could you possibly still love us? 
Our thoughts are evil. Our thoughts are corrupt. And if anybody sitting in, under the sound of my voice says they're not, then they're really damaged because every one of us have thoughts every day that betray who you want us to be and want us to become. But because Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended to your right hand today, we're free from those thoughts incarcerating us into hell forever and ever and ever because we have faith in you and we trust you. You're our defender. You're our defender, God. As much as we want to defend ourselves, you are our defender. So there are times, God, we just need to be silent and us supernaturally. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray a prayer. And all of you watching online, I want you to pray this with me. Simply say these words. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your one and only Son to die on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I declare you're my Savior. I declare I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.